right, and I've just put the wrong uh, slide up there. Praise God, this is not class number 17, this is class number 18, and I am so glad that you are with us. Praise God. Um, I was uh, having a conversation uh, before we started um, the video that uh, I think this is either the first time or the first time in a really long time that we have um, had this class between uh, Christmas and New Year's. Normally we take that Wednesday off, but with it being almost right in the middle of those two, uh, I thought that may work, amen. But uh, we, we have, uh, we only got one person besides myself in the room tonight. And um, of course, a lot of our brothers and sisters that come from the foundry, uh, their schedule, uh, as we, we knew they were not gonna be here. So hopefully, uh, if you're watching now live or, or maybe you'll be catching up later, but I'm really excited about what we're gonna be covering tonight. So I really pray that um, you'll be able to access the content, amen. Let's, uh, let's pray before we do anything else. Father, thank you for your love and for your mercy. Father, thank you for your grace and, and, and Lord, your goodness to us. Father, you are faithful to us even when we are not faithful to you. And Lord, I thank you that, um, that you said even if our heart condemns us, that, that you do not condemn us. But if our heart condemns us not, Father, we have confidence. We have confidence and boldness even, Father, towards you. And so, Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in our lives. I thank you, Father, for the answers that you provided for us. I thank you for the wisdom. Lord, that you have hidden, not from us, but hidden for us, Lord. And so we're here tonight to, uh, to search uh, for your truth and answers and wisdom. Lord, yes, for our own lives um, so that we can benefit from it, but, but even beyond that, Father, so that we might uh, be better equipped to help others and minister to other people, Lord. And, and I thank you, Father, for those that are uh, tuned in. And, and Lord, we know that others may be traveling. Just this is a unique time of, of year. Uh, these uh, days between uh, Christmas and, and the new year. But Lord, I thank you for your anointing upon those that are listening and, and Lord, upon those uh, that are watching and Lord, your anointing upon me as I bring your word tonight. Thank you for good things and we believe you, Father, that 2022 is going to be the best year yet. Uh, all bringing fruit for your glory, Father. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. All right, so um, as I was looking back over my... My notes and slides from last week, um, I think we set a record, uh, and the record uh, maybe uh, is not a good one. We, we covered very few slides last week, but um, as I've mentioned before, this is our 18th year doing this class, and it started in a small room with people sitting around the table, and then um, we've had as many as 80 to 90 people in this room, and, and long before we had this technology to live stream it and, and do those things, it, it was just a bunch of folks in here, and, and there were... And, and people growing and learning and sharpening one another. And, and, um, and that was more of what discipleship class has been in the past last week uh, than it has been in, in some time. Uh, I did have some feedback from uh, folks that were watching. They're like, hey, listen, we hate we weren't there to be a part of that. But um, next time, let it, they couldn't hear the questions and the comments that other people were making. And... Um, so I've got to do a better job uh, of moderating that when somebody has a question uh, to be sure and, and at least repeat the gist of that question in the microphone so people who are watching uh, or listening uh, can, uh, can be a part of the conversation. So I appreciate your patience on that. But um, again, this is Kingdom Overview Part 3. And uh, to be honest with you, I normally get the Kingdom Overview 
in in two classes, but of course we had a lot of questions and discussion uh, last week. And rather than try to skip through some of this, because as I've mentioned before, an understanding of the kingdom is so important because the, the, the kingdom is our backing. Uh, we, we are ambassadors. We are representatives of our Father's kingdom. We've been born into his kingdom. Uh, we have the resources and the authority of his kingdom at our disposal. He has given us the keys of the kingdom. He has given us the kingdom itself. He's even put that kingdom inside of us. And so as people who represent God, who minister on God's behalf, it's very, very important that we understand more and more about the kingdom. And, and I think if, if last week's class told us anything, it, it, it's that, you know, unfortunately there, there is a lack of teaching uh, on these things in the body of Christ, which is very sad to me. Um, as we've already said, I'll remind you that the kingdom was Jesus' first uh, most frequent and, and even his final uh, words before he left this earth uh, were all focused around the subject of the kingdom of God that he brought from the third heaven to, um, to the earth. And so uh, just to kind of make a, a run at this, amen, we know in Matthew 6 that Jesus taught us to pray following this pattern or this method that we would call for the kingdom of God to come and then we would call for the will of God to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, the kingdom realm, the kingdom reign, the kingdom rule, the kingdom resources, all of these things um, making possible uh, miracles and deliverance and divine breakthroughs in uh, people's lives. We also last week mentioned that in the Old Testament we saw miracles and you know, raising the dead, healing the sick, multiplying food, uh, you know, things dealing with the environment, rain and weather, all of these things were signs and wonders, miracles performed by prophets. But there was one that we did not see in the Old Testament that we clearly see it was reserved for Jesus' earthly ministry, and that was the casting out demons. And in Luke eleven twenty, Jesus said, If I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God has come upon you. Then we were in uh, Matthew 16, and um, verse 18. I'll put that up on the screen. Really important verses. Verse 18, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In our conversation last week, there was one important connection that we did not make that I want to make sure uh, to make as we get started uh, today, and, and that is the, uh, the connection between um, Jesus building his church and you and I being given the keys of the kingdom. In other words, the tool of binding and loosing is an important tool to be used in the building of our Father's kingdom and expanding and growing and developing of our Father's kingdom here upon the earth. One of my um, favorite uh, translations of Matthew 16, 19 <clears throat> is the Weiss translation. And I think he really nails it. It's, it's uh, more of a literal translation. He said, I shall give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth forbid to be done shall have already been, shall have been already bound forbidden to be done in heaven and whatever you loose on earth permit to be done shall have already been loosed in heaven or permitted to be done. So I know that's kind of a, a, a mouthful, and it's a, it's a little bit, I guess, maybe potentially confusing, 
the words bind and loose have to do with either refusing to allow or allowing. And so when God says whatever um, you allow on earth, <laughs> right? See, we're always talking about what God allows, but he, that's, God's, God's concerned about what you're allowing because as we'll learn in future classes, um, the authority for this planet has been given to you and to me. And so it's very, very important that we cooperate, co-labor together with God, again, to see his kingdom come and to see his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Those two very powerful uh, forces working together. Now, we said that um, keys represent three very important things. Keys represent access. So when he says, I've given you the keys of the kingdom, he's saying that he has given you access to the kingdom. Um, and when we, when we talk in terms of, of access, it's, it's easy to think in terms of a key opening a door, but the same key that will open a door will also lock a door. So think about allowing, refusing to allow, binding and loosing. Um, keys of the kingdom means there are certain doors that we have the authority to open so that things from the heavenly realm can pass through into the earth. And then there are uh, also doors that by way of access, we could say denied access, that we can um, refuse. So keys represent three things. Number one, access. Number two, authority. You've been given the key to someone's home, business, car. Uh, by virtue of them handing you that key, um, the, the intention, the implication is, uh, <laughs> unless they say, hey, hold this key till so-and-so gets here and give it to them. But, but generally speaking, the, the implication is that they're giving you the authority uh, that that key represents. And so the third thing then is that the key represents responsibility. We have a responsibility where the kingdom of our Father on the earth is concerned. So access, authority, and responsibility. These are the things that the keys of the kingdom represent. Now, I mentioned this class before last, but I think, and I probably ought to just go ahead and put it on there as a fourth item, because not just the key, but what Jesus is saying to us and the way that he said it to us is there's something here that's not uh, specifically stated but is certainly implied, and that's the idea of initiative, initiative. He, notice he put the ball in our court, whatever you bind, whatever you loose. So it's very important that we take the initiative um, to bind things and to loose things, and what he's saying is that it's, if it's something that's already been loosed in heaven, then when we loose it on the earth, he's going to stand behind us and back that. Um, same with, you know, loosing, binding. Um, so, but again, it's important that we take the initiative here. We, we can't afford to be, um, pardon the word, lazy. We can't, you know, lackadaisical um, where these things are concerned. Now, Go with me to Luke chapter 16, Luke the 16th chapter, and the 16th verse, Luke 16 and 16. We talked some classes ago about learning to rightly divide the Word of God, and, and we spent some time there explaining the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and while the Old Testament is the Word of God and is extremely important, we now are our citizens of the kingdom of heaven, and we live according to the new covenant, the new testament. Remember, the new didn't come, uh, you know, to uh, what's the word? To do away with the old, but came 
as a means to actually fulfill it. Um, so because Jesus obeyed the commandments without sin, uh, he established um, righteousness for you and for me and then gave us that righteousness as a gift. But this particular verse is, is a key uh, passage in all of that. Luke 16 and 16, Jesus says this, The law and the prophets were until John. Now, this is speaking of John the Baptist, not John the beloved, the Apostle John. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is pressing into it. The law and the prophets were until John. So if, if you're not familiar, the law and the prophets is, is referring to the Old Testament. So the law and the prophets were until John, okay? Now, what we know is that John was, um, you know, he said it this way. He said, I, I must decrease and Jesus must increase. So the idea is that John represented that old system and it was fading uh, away and Jesus represented a new system and at the same time, one was, was dimming the other one was, was ramping up. Was, was, so you, what you have here is, is a transition, and the transition, the, uh, the baton, so to speak, was passed from John the Baptist to Jesus himself. So the law and the prophets were until John. We, we've said this before, we'll say it again. John's ministry was recorded in the opening pages of the Gospels in the New Testament, but he was actually the last of the Old Testament prophets who ministered under that anointing and that system but notice when john came john began to preach uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and as we've pointed out already remember jesus preached that same message then the 12 disciples and then the first 70 uh missionaries uh they all preached repent for the kingdom is at hand so that's what he means since that time uh the kingdom of god has been preached i know this may sound odd We've looked at verses in the Old Testament where the kingdom of God was clearly spoken about and prophesied. But remember, it was three heavens away, and, and there, like many other things, this was something that, that, that God chose to, kept, to keep secret or a mystery uh, un, until these latter days when Jesus came to reveal it to us. So, but now we've got a new message being preached, and that is the message of, of the kingdom and notice that when people hear about this kingdom, they want in. They want in on it. Amen. If somebody understands what it means for the kingdom of God to be present with power and to have the ability to enter in and be a part of it, then people are pressing into it. Now, if you can imagine for a moment, and when the Lord really kind of, I guess, brought this verse more to life uh, for me than ever, um, it was several years ago. Uh, we were at a at an event, um, a Christian concert uh, downtown, in general admission at the Civic Center here, locally where, where we live. And because it was general admission, then the first person in the door, you know, could get the best seat, so to speak. And and um, so we got there. I don't know what time. Let's say doors open at six, concert starts at seven. We got there at four thirty, and and you know. At every entrance of that big arena, there were crowds, masses of people uh, pressing to get in. But, but they couldn't get in because the doors weren't open yet. So this is what's happening. The kingdom is here, and people are, are pressing. They're wanting to get into it. But remember, 
you can't enter the kingdom uh, unless you're born again. The only way into the kingdom is to be born into the kingdom. You, uh, Jesus taught us that. I'm not going to go back through all that. John, the third chapter, in his conversation with Nicodemus. Unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom. And so, you, remember, you can't, be, you can't be born again until Jesus dies on the cross. And so you've got, you know, the kingdom being preached and people wanting in, but they're not going to be able to get in until Jesus uh, provides the means uh, for their salvation. This is why you see in the book of Acts, I say this is why, one of the reasons why, one of the contributing, of other contributing factors in the book of Acts where, you know, Peter stands up to preach and thousands of people get born again. I mean, this because these are people who had already heard about from me, not everyone, but a lot of them had experienced the earthly ministry of Jesus and, and knew about it and maybe been healed by him, maybe ate a uh, seafood buffet that he multiplied for them, what have you. And, and so these are folks that were primed, you know, wanting to press into um, the kingdom of God. Amen. And so uh, remember that, that verse, John 3 and 3 and John 3 and 5, where unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom. That's John 3, 3. And then John 3 and 5, unless you're born again, uh, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, let's look at one more verse, and this is related uh, to that. It's in Matthew 18 and 3. Uh, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So your conversion, that's referring to your salvation and becoming like a little child, he's talking about that childlike faith and trust uh, in, in God that is necessary to receive uh, the gift of salvation. Now, we're, we're going to talk about something for the next few minutes that I think is really important, and so um, not that what we've already said isn't, but, but there's just a lot of confusion uh, in a lot of people's hearts and I know this, number one, because of the conversation that I've had with so many people over so many years, but I also know this personally because of some of the confusion that I had. And so what the Holy Spirit's going to help me share with you uh, now and in, in the next several minutes, I think is going to really help clarify some things that need to be clarified. And, and this is one of the, the, those areas where uh, the devil has literally had a field day in people's lives because of uh, the misunderstanding, you know, concerning uh, these things, all right? And so when, when um, it's, it's a common error, let me just get, get back to my notes now, uh, and the common error is confusing uh, Jesus talking about his kingdom coming to the earth and our ability to enter into it with our going to heaven one day when we die or in the rapture. So, for instance, in, in the earthly ministry of Jesus, you will hear him talking about entering into the kingdom, entering into the kingdom, entering into the kingdom. He's not talking about going to heaven. He's not talking about the day when those who know God walk through the pearly gates and enter into heaven, uh, its location in the third heaven. Okay, Entering the kingdom... Listen to me now, please. Entering the kingdom and going to heaven are not the same thing. But there is a lot of confusion um, in people's hearts and minds uh, where these two are concerned. 
So let me give you a classic example, and we'll look at a few verses here. Mark chapter 9 and verse number 1. Mark chapter 9 and verse number 1. Jesus speaking, and he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Coming to good. Amen. I needed some of my keys there. Well, they, I gave it away, and I had a, I wasn't even on camera when I did that, so praise God. All right, so, man, I love you guys. All right, let's get back to it. Praise God. So, Mark chapter 9, verse 1, and he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Till they see the kingdom of God present with power. So, um, there are some people who, again, believe that Jesus was referring to him coming back after he, you know, Jesus is going to die on the cross, he's going to be buried, death, hell, and the grave, resurrected. Then he returns to heaven to pour out his, his uh, blood on the mercy seat. Then he appears to the disciples, and, and he tells them that he's going to return. Right? And we know that Jesus is going to return. And there were many who were confused because they thought that this verse was referring to his return to the earth or the rapture. My friend, that is not what he's talking about. The kingdom of God will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. This is, again, referring to the supernatural signs and wonders that are performed because of Jesus' uh, ability. Now, that's kind of a minor one. Uh, maybe you see it or have already seen that one. But here is the one that I get a lot of questions about, okay? And, um, and there are some, before I go here, there are some reasons for this, okay? First of all, there is, there is uh, far from a unanimous belief in the body of Christ about the durability of one's salvation. And, and what I mean by that is there are those who believe that our, uh, our salvation is, is very fragile, and that if we sin or if we do something wrong, that somehow that means we're not saved anymore. And there are people who believe that. And, and, and listen, I, I'm not here to, uh, to dig into all that just yet. We will get into that in the days ahead. Um, but because there are folks who believe that a person can receive salvation and then lose their salvation, uh, they have a tendency to comb through the Scriptures to find verses that will support that position. And because of that, verses then quite often get taken out of context. And this is a, a, a classic example of a verse that people point to to prove <laughs> in their minds that someone can be born again and lose their salvation. It's Matthew chapter 7, verse number 21. So let's let's look at it with fresh eyes and fresh heart, fresh anointing. So Jesus speaking, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now let's slam on the brakes right there. Some of you already know what's to come in this verse, but before we go any further, the classic mistake where people get off track with this verse is they think Entering the kingdom of heaven means going to heaven when you die. And not what he's talking about. Entering the kingdom of heaven is something you do 
on this side of going through the pearly gates. In other words, if you don't enter the kingdom before you leave this earth, okay, you're not going to enter it afterwards, all right? So, uh, and it was based on everything we have in Scripture. I'm not trying to open up another can of worms there. So the bottom line is, when Jesus comes back, he's coming back for those who are his father's children. And those who are his father's children are those who have received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Jesus made it very clear, if we do not have him, we do not have his father uh, either. Amen. If you have Jesus, you have the father also. You can't, you saw a lot of people say, I don't believe in Jesus, but I believe in God. No, 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 see, again, it, that, that doesn't work according to um, the Holy Bible descriptions. Okay. Now, but again, where the error comes is when people look at this verse, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Okay? Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness right so again um the way i have heard this verse taught and preached for many years is is this image okay that you've got these people who prophesied in jesus's name who cast out demons in jesus's name they did many wonders in his name um that now they're getting turned away at the gate um they've died or are you know now, you know, they're, they're there, and, you know, Hollywood portrays it, you know, as, uh, you know, St. Peter standing, you know, by the gate with a clipboard, you know, looking for their names, okay? Again, that's bogus. But, so, this is the understanding, and, and because of the misunderstanding of what it means to enter the kingdom and when a person enters the kingdom, pastors then take this to mean that there are folks who could have, you know, performed miracles and God worked through them in these powerful ways and yet they still be lost, okay? Now, let's, let's sort this out because um, what is Jesus saying here literally and to whom is he saying it? In other words, we have to start with a very simple question. How does a man or a woman enter the kingdom of heaven? And this is not about my opinion or somebody else's opinion or some denomination's opinion. This is straight from the lips of Jesus himself, right? The only way to enter the kingdom is to be born again. There is no other way. You cannot enter the kingdom unless you're born again. And so when Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, right? He's talking about people who think they have some kind of inside track. He's talking about people who think that because of some uh, relationship or some assignment or some performance, uh, you know, some way that they were used of God in the past, that somehow this qualifies them when Jesus is making it very clear to them that it does not qualify them. Now, here's a, again, let's just start with something simple and kind of work our way through this. Can a man or a woman do enough good works to, uh, to be born again, to be saved? And we know the answer to that is no. But why am I asking the question that way? Because that's the only way to enter the kingdom is through the, the doorway of salvation or through Jesus. Jesus has made it clear. He's the, he's the, 
not just the good shepherd, he's also um, the, the, the gateway into the fold, all right? So can a man or woman do enough good deeds to enter the kingdom of heaven or, so enter the kingdom being one thing. I'm, see, if you're born again, you've entered the kingdom, right? But can you do enough good works to gain citizenship in the kingdom while here on the earth? The answer is no. Or can you do enough good works to go to heaven one day when you die? And the answer to both questions is absolutely not, right? So when it says, those who have done the will of my father, what is the will of the father pertaining to entering into the kingdom? And that the will of the father is to receive the gift of salvation he has provided. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 4. Um, it says this, speaking of God the Father, he desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So the way to enter the kingdom is through salvation and it's Father's will for all to be saved. And through this gift of salvation is how we enter into the kingdom. Now, I know that some of you are going to need to chew on this. But this is, first of all, you know, two questions. What is Jesus referring to entering the kingdom? And, and we, I think, answered that one, not just in some of the things we summarized here, things that we've already talked about leading up to, to now. But I think then this leads us to the next question. To whom is Jesus speaking uh, in this uh, passage in Matthew 7? Right? These verses, listen to me now, these verses are referring, they have to refer to those who were already used by Jesus before they were born again. Right? So let me, let me tell you, and I'm convinced of this. You, it's okay if you're not. We can still go to heaven together, okay? I'm convinced of this, though. Listen to me, please. Right? I am convinced that this is referring to a very select group of people. As a matter of fact, we could, we could number these people. The number of these people are at least 82 people. 82 people. Where do you get that number, Pastor Mark? <coughs> I get that number from Jesus because we see that Jesus authorized 12 men and then he authorized 70 more people. That's 70 plus 12 is 82. He authorized them to do what? To prophesy in his name, to go speak in his name. He authorized them to cast out demons in his name. He authorized them to heal the sick in his name. Okay? So what is he saying to these 82 people? He's saying to these 82 people, look, you've been used by God mightily and powerfully, but this does not give you an inside track to salvation. If, if you are going to enter the kingdom that you have been telling other people about, you're going to have to also be born again. So coming to him and to say, Lord, Lord, I've cast out demons in your name, I've done this in your name, I've done that in your name, to believe that that somehow qualified them to enter into the kingdom would have been a very serious error or a very serious mistake, okay? You pray about it, you ask the Lord about it, all right? Let's go to Matthew chapter 11. I could spend more time on that, but I'm not going to do it, all right? Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11 and 11. Jesus says this, Assuredly I say to you, Assuredly I say to you, Among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Least in the kingdom, least in the kingdom, is greater than the greatest prophet born of a woman. Or really, Jesus here doesn't even uh, 
specify prophet. He, he just specifies as born of a woman, right? Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. Now, anytime Jesus uses the word assuredly, or in the King James, it may be like verily, verily. I've told you this before, let me remind you. He is in essence saying, brace yourself, what I'm about to say to you is going to be hard to believe. He's in essence saying, um, hold on, because I'm fixing to share something with you that is going to seem so far beyond anything you've heard or had explained to you or given to you uh, in the past that you're not going uh, to, to, to consider it to be accurate or to be the truth, right? So when he says to that group, because many of the people that loved Jesus and followed Jesus loved John the Baptist and followed him first. And so they had great respect for John. They recognized him. Now, the religious establishment didn't know what to do with, with him. I'm talking about the common, everyday uh, you know, man and woman on the street, so to speak. Uh, and so they held him in high esteem and they held him in high regard. And so when Jesus says that the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than, than John the Baptist, he, remember, he, he gave them the assuredly. Um, so let me give you Matthew's, uh, I'm sorry, that was from Matthew 11, 11. We find this recorded as well in Luke 7, and it's recorded a little differently here. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So we see the Holy Spirit at work here because there are those who really try to split some hair between kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God. Well, here we see Jesus using them interchangeably, right? The other thing is that Luke records that Jesus referred to him being the greatest prophet, the greatest prophet of the Old Testament in that, in that era and all that John uh, represented. But notice now Jesus is saying that the greatest prophet of the Old Covenant, right, um, compared to the least in the kingdom of God, uh, or we could say the New Covenant, right, that actually the least in the kingdom is greater than the greatest in the old. Now, let me give you um, some key words here, okay? And, and I think we see these emphasized in both passages, even though they may read slightly different. Um, there's a difference between someone who has been born of a woman only compared to someone who has been born of a woman and then born of God. Born of a woman versus born of God born of a woman versus born of God. Because we know that if someone has uh, entered the kingdom, therefore would be someone who's in the kingdom, this is a man or a woman who has been born again. So what Jesus is saying here is that the greatest uh, example of, of someone who was born of a woman, right, compared to the least example of someone who's been born of God in the kingdom <laughs> that the least in the kingdom is actually greater than the greatest prophet born of a woman. Man. You see why he said, brace yourself. You see now why he said, assuredly, 
Uh, this is going to be hard for you to believe. It's, it's, it's going to seem like I'm saying something that doesn't make sense or isn't true. But so what does this tell us? This, this tells us that our salvation carries more weight and has produced more in us than we've yet to understand. Um, the transformation of, of, of what you know, occurred uh, through the new birth uh, has made us something, obviously, that we could never make ourselves, but has also made us something uh, great in the eyes of God. Now, just for clarification, because you, you think, well, what does it mean to be the least in the kingdom? And, and I told you several classes ago, uh, before you start going with other people's opinions or your own ideas, let the Bible interpret the Bible. And so Jesus told us what it means to be least in the kingdom. So let's take a quick side journey here. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 19. Matthew 5 and 19. He, said, he shows us and tells us what it is to be the least in the kingdom. Remember, least in the kingdom means you've been born again. Okay? Because If you're in the kingdom, the only way in is through the new birth. So least in the kingdom. Matthew 5 and verse 19. Jesus says, Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So again, because folks confuse entering the kingdom on earth with going to heaven when you die, they don't understand what Jesus is talking about here. And of course, if you remember, they kind of scratched their heads and like, well, who, who then can be saved? You know, we're all doomed then. Because in, the, in their day, a scribe or a Pharisee was the epitome of outward righteousness and conformity. I mean, these folks had a, a, a specific routine uh, of, of, of righteously washing their hands. Uh, and so they were just the spitting image of what people thought was portrayed righteousness. And so when Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds their righteousness, there's, you're not going to enter the kingdom, uh, this confused them. And of course, we know that Jesus was referring to the gift of righteousness. His righteousness um, is the only acceptable uh, standard of righteousness now uh, by our, our Heavenly Father. And of course, we know that we don't earn that or, or somehow behave or perform our way into receiving it, but it's a gift that we are given let's go back to verse 19 whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven so what what is he saying here he, jesus is saying that the least of the kingdom is somebody who's been born again but is not only breaking commandments but is teaching other people to break them you see we we think somebody breaking commandments man they're doomed for hell they're not saved they they didn't they don't know god they're not yet again I'm not saying that they don't have to grow. I'm not, remember, be saved, come to the knowledge of the truth. You can be saved and not know the truth. You can be saved and, and, and think you're doing, you know, what you're supposed to be doing, and you're not because you don't know, right? So whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But remember what Jesus said, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than the greatest prophet born of a woman who has not yet been born of God. Now, 
I get this question a lot. Uh, I have learned to anticipate it. Um, does that mean then, Pastor Mark, that John the Baptist is not in heaven now? Of course, we know that he was beheaded uh, by Herod. Um, I believe he absolutely is in heaven. Remember, after Jesus uh, died on the cross, he went to Abraham's bosom, holding there. And the Bible says that those who were held captive, he took them captive, um, literally preached the gospel to them and, and gave them the opportunity. Uh, Matthew's gospel tells us and records that there were many people who had been dead for years seen alive and well walking the streets of Jerusalem on that first uh, resurrection uh, morning. Praise God. Um, I believe that uh, John the Baptist is there as well as um, a lot, a lot, a lot of those uh, heroes from the Old Testament, okay? Now, a born-again man has been made the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. We already mentioned that, but that's what Jesus is referring to when he says, unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, you're not uh, going to be able to get in. All right, let's, um, let's do this. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 20. Amen. Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 20. He says this, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this verse obviously is stating, you know, born-again reality, what it means to be born again. So as a born-again man or a woman, our citizenship now is in heaven. Remember, we're ambassadors. An ambassador is a, is a citizen who represents his or her homeland in another country. So we're here on the earth, but we're not of, the, of this earth. We're, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Uh, our citizenship is in heaven, but notice... Our citizenship is in heaven, and we are also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because what is he going to do? He's coming back for us. He made that very clear. He's coming back for us, and he's going uh, to take us um, uh, back to heaven uh, with him one day, uh, our homeland. Praise God. Let's go Hebrews 12 and 22. Hebrews 12 and 22. Uh, in... Uh, some classes uh, upcoming, we will spend a little more time in uh, Hebrews, but the unique thing about the book of Hebrews is it's an open letter to the Hebrew people. All, all the other epistles were written to the church. They were written uh, to, specifically to men and women who have already been born again. But the book of Hebrews, when I say an open letter to the Hebrew people, it's written to Hebrew people who have both been saved, received Jesus as their, as their Messiah and Savior, as well as those who have not been born again, who have not received him as um, their Lord and Savior. And the writer of Hebrews, obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit, uh, is making multiple comparisons between the Old Testament and the, and the old means of sacrifice and the New Testament, the new means of sacrifice, the old priesthood, Jesus now, the new high priest, making all these comparisons. 
And we come now towards the end of the book, and we have some of the most beautiful uh, you know, comparisons that we find anywhere in the book. I'm just going to begin at verse 22, but remember, in the Old Testament, Israel you know, came to the mountain, God went up into the mountain, I'm sorry, Moses went up into the mountain, God came down upon the mountain, and of course they were told, don't touch that mountain, if you touch it, you know, you'll be ran through with a spear, you know, these, these kinds of things. Uh, but compare that to what we have now as it's, as, it's, um, you know, refer- as it's spoken clearly here in Hebrews 12 and 22. He says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. Wow. Man, this, this is... We, let's just simplify it by saying we have it uh, so much better uh, today than what uh, those men and women had in uh, the old system. So we've come to Mount Zion. We've come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, who are registered in heaven. So I don't know if you've ever, like, registered for an event. I don't know if you've you've ever, um, like, reserved uh, a hotel room and and your name's already on that room or or maybe some seminar or something along those lines. The idea is that you're already signed up for it before you get there. Um, you don't wait, you get there to register, you, you are pre-registered, amen. And so when we say that our citizenship is in heaven, when we say it, when the Word of God says that our citizenship is in heaven, that's not just a figure of speech or some type of metaphor. You, you literally are a registered citizen uh, of heaven and, um, and all that that involves and all that that includes. Now, here in the United States, and I understand that we have people in other countries that, that um, participate in this class with us. That's just the, 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 the blessing of, of this modern technology. But in the United States, our, our form of government is, um, is, a, is a representative democracy. Um, and so we elect our president, we elect our representatives, and, and it's, it's, it's much different from a monarchy. And in, in a monarchy, uh, the king uh, is the government, so to speak. He, he is the most uh, powerful uh, uh, being of his domain, his kingdom, his kingdom domain, kingdom, right? King and domain, the domain he's king over. And if you understand, I mean, like, if we go back to, say, a democracy, democracy can be subverted, it can be perverted, it, it can be, um, you know, there, there are a lot of people who believe even this, the last presidential election here in our, in our country, um, that there were some shenanigans and, and things of that nature going on. Um, so the, the point I'm trying to make is that any form of government um, can have its ideal uh, you know, 
implementation, uh, but then it can also have, uh, like, well, let's talk about, like, for instance, a, a king, um, a righteous king, a godly king. Proverbs has a lot to say about that. Uh, but we also see that sometimes a supreme uh, ruler over a domain uh, can become a tyrant and can manipulate and abuse uh, even uh, his people. But in the, in, the, in the purest form of a king and a kingdom is that the king is the uh, nurturer, if you will, um, of uh, his people. In, 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 in ancient kingdoms, um, a king's reputation was established by how well his subjects were doing. Um, for instance, it reflected very poorly on a king and his leadership if his people were malnourished or you know, hungry and, and these kinds of things. Uh, perhaps you know, the greatest king in the Old Testament, maybe the greatest king of all time, you know, King David, um, some argue Solomon, but uh, you know, maybe in wealth and things of that nature you could make a case for Solomon. But again, I, I stick with, with, with David. You know, his, his desire was to see that his people, God's people, uh, prospered and, and, and were blessed and protected and, 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 and all that was a reflection not just upon him but on the God that he served. Okay, So we, we don't understand a lot about kingdom, especially here in this country, because we weren't raised in a kingdom. We were, we were raised in a, in a democratic republic. We were, we were, we were raised in a, in a place where we elect our leaders, and if we don't like them, we can elect another one, um, or at least vote for another one. Um, and so I think sometimes kingship and kingdom and all these things uh, are lost on us because we, we don't fully understand um, what it's like to live in a kingdom, even though if we're born again, um, we are in that, uh, in that, uh, the kingdom of our, of our Heavenly Father. So let me just simplify by saying that in a kingdom, the most powerful thing uh, in a kingdom is not the army. It's, it's not the economy. It's not the currency. Um, it's, not the, it's not the natural resources of, of that kingdom. The most powerful thing in any kingdom is the word of the king. What the king says. Um, I mean, it, again, it's, you know, we, it's sad because you know, so many politicians say whatever they think people want to hear to get elected. You know, again, that's kind of the, the, the system that, that, that a lot of us grew up in, raised with, raised with familiar with. Um, we don't understand, you know, like when it says in the scriptures, it says the Medes and Persians. In other words, for a king to ever say something and not honor it and back it up would be like the worst thing that could ever happen to that king. And so you even see, like, with, for instance, when, I believe it was Darius, maybe, that was manipulated into, um, uh, was it Darius and Daniel? When he was manipulated by Daniel's enemies into um, passing a law that um, wound up his close, closest and probably most valuable 
um, confidant and, and, and uh, advisor, Daniel, uh, being thrown in the lion's den. You know, as a kid, I'm, I'm hearing that story and reading that story. I'm like, hold on a second. He's the king. He can just, you know, tell them all to go take a hike. I'm not putting Daniel in the lion's den. You know, but see, that, that, that would be our limited understanding of, of what it means for a, for a king to, to, to utter a decree. Uh, remember, we are kings, priests, and prophets unto our God. And so the most powerful thing in any kingdom is the word of the king. Now, with that basic understanding, what you have to know is that your king has spoken, um, and he's not just spoken generally, but he has said some things about you. <laughs> your king has spoken. He has said some things about me. And it's very important for us to know what he has said. Not just, listen, I'm, this is extremely important. I'm not trying to, to just set this aside. It's important for us to understand what he has commanded us to do, what he has commanded uh, you know, us to obey. Certainly critically important. But if we could just, again, take the emphasis off of that for a moment, because we also see that your king has said some things about who you are. He has said some things about what you're capable of doing. He has said some things about what belongs to you, things that he has given to you, things that he has declared are yours. Um, because we, again, do not have the proper understanding of what it means for a king to say something. I, I believe angels, you know, the Bible talks about them longing to understand the relationship that God has with us, things that they desire to look into but are basically off limits uh, to them. I think one of the things that baffles them the most is that any human being would ever question anything that God has said because the angels know that if you can just get him to say it, it's a done deal. If you can just get him to say it, the power to produce it is in the words that he spoke in a person's life, right? But you say, well, why aren't we experiencing those things? Because we, we, don't, we question his word. We don't trust his word. We don't believe his word uh, and what he has said about us. In other words, there's T-shirts and bumper stickers, you know, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. I understand, but really and truly, God said it, that settles it. Whether you ever believe it or not, if God says it, it's settled. Um, one passage, I don't have it right here in my notes, um, but the Bible says that his word is forever settled in heaven. God wants what's forever settled in heaven to become settled in you. Um, so again, the most powerful thing in any kingdom is the word of the king and your king, right? The king of kings. He has spoken and he's had some things to say to you and he's had some things to say about you. Do you know what he has said? See, I think far too many of God's people look at studying the Bible as some duty, as, as some, uh, you, you know, well, we've got you know, to read a, you know, at least a few verses or whatever. No, no, see, if you start looking at that, at, at the Word of God as, as an inventory list, I think I used this years ago back in the cabinet shop days. The Lord showed me around Christmas time and, you know, you get these uh, wish books, you know, in the mail, uh, catalogs in the mail where, you know, kids would look through them, our children would look through them and maybe circle something in there that they would like us to get them for Christmas. And, and the Lord showed me, he said, 
so many of my people, they look at my, my word like it's a wish book, like it's, boy, I'd like to have that, and maybe if I could have that someday, without ever realizing it's not, it's not a wish book, it's, a, it's an inventory of everything that belongs to you now. All the promises of God are yes and uh, so be it, yes and amen. Now, let's go <clears throat> to Acts chapter 1, praise God. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. I've mentioned this a time or two, but I want to show it to you in Scripture because I think it's, it's it, you know, it's really important that we see this from, from beginning to end, from top to bottom, the best of our ability. And so I've said this, that, that Jesus' earliest, most frequent, um, and the message that he preached more than any other message, he preached at the beginning, he preached in the middle, he preached at the end, was this message of uh, the kingdom. And so look at this in Acts chapter 1. Now, just to orient, I know most of you already got this, but you have Jesus' life ministry teaching recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Then we have the book of Acts, A-C-T-S, and, and it's literally the title is The Acts of the Apostles. It's, it's the actions, think of that. It's things that they did. Um, and, of course, we know the book of Acts is still being written. Um, and the church that is talked about in the book of Acts is the same church, the same body of Christ that we are all a part of. And so Luke was used by the Holy Spirit to write the book of Acts. And that's where we pick it up in the very uh, first verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. He says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. And this is referring to, he's referencing the account uh, of um, his gospel, uh, the book of Luke. So that's the former account that he's referencing, the account that he gave to, um, to Theophilus and to others of Jesus' life. And notice, I love that, that all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Okay, let me come back over here. When, when Jesus hung on the cross and breathed his last, he said, it is finished, but he did not say, I am finished. Right? He, it is finished, meaning the, the way of salvation um, as it pertained to his work on the cross has been completed. Now, we know that even after that, he went, death, hell, and the grave came back with the keys. Um, but we know that Jesus went about doing good, uh, destroying the works of the devil, and that he's now commissioned us we see in the scriptures, we've already looked at it many classes ago, as I have been sent, Father, I now send them. So it's all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. He's far from finished. Amen? We're the body of Christ, and he's still working through us. Now, let's keep going here. Verse number two. Until the day in which he was taken up, speaking of Jesus, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. Infallible means it, it, it can't be contradicted. It, you, you know, you, maybe somebody's spinning some yarn telling you some story and all of a sudden you start poking holes in it, right? Well, that, you know, they said that that happened and, and uh, you know, this time of day and that time of day they were over here. In other words, inconsistencies. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Um, but when he's saying that it was by many infallible proofs, 
he's saying that it's 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 literally incontrovertible, meaning it it, it can't be um, uh, disproven. Right? Uh, being seen by them during forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, there's a lot here that we could comment on. Remember, Jesus was crucified on the Passover. And the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on that first 120 in the upper room on Pentecost. Pente means 50, 50 days from Passover. So we know that Jesus was raised up from the dead, okay? And notice that he wasn't just like high and by. He wasn't just like raised up and, you know, put your hands in my, in my scars and... Um, all right, I'm, I'm out of here, guys. No, um, for 40 days by many infallible proofs. We find out later from the Apostle Paul that um, in, in Corinthians that there was one time when he was seen by more than 500 people, a large crowd of people. So let me, let me just go down a quick little rabbit trail here. You know, people read this and they're going, yeah, right, yeah, right, you know. Especially in their day, but even in our day, you, you know, fake news, right? That's such a, a, a big thing. Um, you know, credible journalists don't participate in fake news. Or you can't just say, and, it, and it, without it being challenged, that because um, when Paul wrote that by the Holy Spirit, he said that not only did Jesus appear to that many people at once um, during the 40 days he spent on the earth, um, many of them are still alive you, you know, eyewitness testimony of this. So the idea that his resurrection is all just some kind of farce or whatever, again, that, that argument doesn't hold water. But the point I'm trying to make is Jesus spent those 40 days teaching his disciples and notice what he's teaching them. He's teaching them, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Practically every time he opened his mouth to teach before the cross, he would begin by saying something like, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like. Um, this was, again, his earliest, his most frequent, um, most consistent message was teaching about the kingdom of God. So you see now why we've spent, what, two and a half classes um, on this. Now, if we go to the end of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28, verse 23, now it's not Jesus teaching, but instead, it's the Apostle Paul. And notice what it says. So they appointed. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. So basically, the Apostle Paul at this point uh, in, in his life, he was under house arrest. But he had favor. Uh, with um, uh, his uh, captors, if you will. And so he's, he, he's in this nice home, and people are coming to him. Uh, and notice, all he did from morning to evening was teach people about the kingdom of God, okay, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. All right? So we talked about those first 82 um, really, 83, John the Baptist preached 
the kingdom. Jesus preached the kingdom. The 12 disciples preached the kingdom. The first 70 missionaries preached the kingdom. Um, now we've got the Apostle Paul um, at the end of the book of Acts who is still preaching and teaching this message. All right? Now, let's go through a few more verses. Praise God. Ten minutes after six. Where's the time go? Y'all get anything out of this? Kind of weak. All right, I see some nods. All right. Luke 12 and 32. How about this one? Luke 12 and 32. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. To give you the kingdom. It's one thing for him to give you the keys of the kingdom, but now we also see that he has given us the kingdom to which we also have the keys. The one thing for somebody to give you a house but not give you the keys to it, or give you a car but not give you the keys to it. So he's given you both the keys of the kingdom and he has given you the kingdom itself. Now, Luke 12, let's move over a few more chapters. Luke 17. Luke 17 and verse <clears throat> number 20. It says, now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Is within you. So I don't know, I can, I can guess as to the heart and attitude behind um, this question from uh, the Pharisees. I believe they were scoffing. Because remember, Jesus, everywhere he goes, he's talking about this kingdom, my Father's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. He's talking about this over and over and over again. And the, the Pharisees are like, okay, so when will, when will this kingdom that you're talking about, uh, you know, when is it going to show up? When is it going to come? When are we going to see it? Or I like to even say, you know, Somebody opens a new business or, or you know, a government builds a new uh, uh, courthouse or something like that. You know, you, you have the ribbon cutting ceremony where, you know, you, you, you cut the ribbon and it's ta-ta-ta, now it's open, right? Okay, so they're, they're like, when is it going to happen like that? And Jesus says it doesn't work that way. Um, it doesn't come with observation because the kingdom of God is within you. All right, now. Go with me to Matthew chapter 13 and verse 51. Matthew chapter 13 and verse number 51. Praise God. Man, Holy Spirit, help us. Help us not be overwhelmed by the magnitude uh, of these things, Lord. Help us embrace this and lean into this and, and not let it sell over our heads, Lord. Thank you for your goodness and for your mercy. These things are... are are beyond us and beyond our ability. That's why, Father, you gave us the Holy Spirit so that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by you. By your Holy Spirit, Father, you're helping us understand what's been given to us, what belongs to us, and the implications, Father, that this has not just for our lives, but for the lives of those that you have commissioned and assigned, Lord, to us uh, to reach and to minister to. Praise God. All right, so Matthew chapter 13. I'm not, I'm not going to take the time to do it, but what we see in Matthew, the 13th chapter, are basically seven parables in a row. Back to back to back to back to back to back. Seven times, Jesus gives us 
seven parables. And every one of these parables, think comparables. Jesus is using something on the earth that people can't understand to bridge the gap between helping them by the Holy Spirit understand some key truth, some reality uh, about the kingdom of heaven. Okay, something they can see to help them understand something that they cannot see. So he goes with these seven parables in a row. Uh, I don't know how long it took him. It was probably a, a pretty much a full day, if not at least a full morning of, of teaching. And we come then to Matthew chapter 13 and verse number 51. Matthew 13 and 51. So Jesus, after these seven parables, Jesus says to them, Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes, Lord, we got it. Mine's like a steel trap, sir. We got, it at, we got every word of it. Then he said to them, Therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Now, you read this and you're like, first of all, I'm not really sure that they got it all. In other words, you know, it's kind of like First um, Corinthians, he says, if any man, I think it's chapter 8, if any man thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know it. And so when Jesus asks them if they've understood all these things, they say yes to him. And he says, okay, so if you've understood these things, then it means that this will be happening in your life. And of course, we know this was not happening in their lives, which meant that they did not yet understand these things the way that they needed to or to the, to the extent that they needed to understand them. Now, I want to, I because that word householder brings out of his treasure new and old. I want to show you this same verse 52 in the message translation. It's probably my favorite verse, or at least top five favorite verses uh, in the message translation. Matthew 13 and 52 from the message translation. He said to them, then you see how every student well trained in God's kingdom is like the owner of a general store who can put his hands on anything you need, old or new, exactly when you need it. Wow. So maybe this verse, more than any other verse, would help us better understand, first of all, the importance of the kingdom and better understand why Jesus, why the disciples, why the apostle Paul, why they spent so much time teaching on the kingdom. Let's go back to it. The kingdom is the rule of God. It's the realm of God. It's the reign of God. And it's the resources of God. The miracles that Jesus performed, all of those were resources of the kingdom breaking through from the realm of the spirit into the realm of the natural, into the realm of the physical. I believe the fish in the nets, when he told them, throw the net on the other side of the boat. I believe those fish didn't come necessarily from the water. They came from the kingdom through the water into those nets. When Jesus held that bread up to heaven and blessed it and then fed those thousands of people, that food didn't come from a grocery store. It didn't come from a restaurant. It came from the kingdom of heaven. In other words, it was a need that people had. Notice, what does he say? If you are fully trained, well trained in the kingdom, you're like the owner of a general store who can put your hand on anything that anybody needs anytime they need it. Those people needed food. Jesus got them food. Where did he get it from? He got it from the kingdom. 
People needed healing. Where did he get it from? He got it from his father's kingdom. People needed wisdom and understanding. Where did he get it from? He got it from his father's kingdom. People needed deliverance from uh, foul weather. In other words, every miracle, everything that Jesus did, he was operating as a general store owner who could literally bring out anything that anybody needed, old or new, exactly when they needed. And this, this, we said multiple times throughout that part of these classes are allowing the Holy Spirit to stretch us and to help us see things more clearly than we've seen them before, embrace things, understand things. So notice now, it's Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Where is the kingdom? Does it come with observation? No, it's an invisible kingdom, but it's a real kingdom. And where is that kingdom right now? Not only is it on the earth, remember, before Jesus went to the cross, the kingdom was as close as an outstretched hand. If you've been born again, it's closer than an outstretched hand. The kingdom is now in you. The kingdom is now in you. All the resources, all the authority, all that God is and all that God has and all that God can do through His kingdom, it now resides in us. So Jesus is obviously wanting his disciples to understand the kingdom. When we talk about discipleship and why are we spending so much time on a class that's called discipleship talking about the kingdom? Because we're disciples of Jesus, but we're also disciples of his kingdom. And we see that Jesus wanted to disciple those men and women uh, into the things of the kingdom because if you're a student well-trained in God's kingdom, then you are able to put your hand on anything that anybody needs New or old, exactly when they need it. You see now why he says in John 17 and 15. Let's go there, John 17 and 15. I mentioned this earlier. I done got myself stirred up, praise God. John 17 and 15, he's, Jesus speaking, he says, Father, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. So when he says don't take them out, the implication is that we're in the world. But he's saying, Father, they're in the world, but don't take them out of the world. Just protect them, keep them from the evil one, for they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. This is where we get that, that statement, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. So what we see is that because we're in the world and not of the world, we have the kingdom of heaven in us, we have God's kingdom in us, therefore, you know, you, you hear different people say it different ways, but basically, you know, the hope of the world is the local church. And I don't, I don't necessarily mean the building, I'm talking about the people, the men and women of God are the hope of this world because we have, amen, God's kingdom, we're in his kingdom, but his kingdom is in us. Okay, if you look at, that's the way Father God does things. We're, um, we're in Christ, but Christ Jesus is also in us. You follow what I'm saying? We're in the Spirit, but now the Holy Spirit is in us. We're in the kingdom, located in that kingdom, but that kingdom is also in us. Amen. And so, well-trained means we're able to bring that kingdom forth. Now, Let's clear up um, another area of confusion. And this area of confusion has to do with the gospel of salvation. I made a little slide here for that. 
the gospel of salvation, when I say verses, I don't mean like opposed to one another, duking it out with one another, um, but just comparing. The gospel of salvation versus compared to the gospel of the kingdom. Now, we see that these are related to one another, but they're not the same thing. I think one of the great problems that we have in the body of Christ today, at least here in this country, is the preaching of the gospel of salvation apart from or in substitution for the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom. Now, gospel simply means good news. And when you preach, you proclaim it. Okay. So when you preach the good news of salvation, extremely important. No, please don't misunderstand me. Extremely important. Okay. We preach the gospel of salvation. We are proclaiming to men and women how they can be saved, be born again, and enter into the kingdom of God. Okay. So, as important as that is, if we preach the gospel of salvation but never preach the gospel of the kingdom, we leave people with a wrong understanding or wrong impression of what salvation actually is all about and what it's for. We were preaching on Sunday here at Heritage and, and the Lord showed me it's, it's like people going into Disney World and once they enter through the gate, everybody congregating just on the other side of the gate because they think the ticket's just for getting in. And, and that's when we only preach the gospel of salvation, people see salvation as an end unto itself as opposed to a means to a greater end. The gospel of salvation is how we enter into the kingdom. And we live, at least my experience, Listen to me, please. My experience. We live in, in a religious climate where the gospel of salvation is being preached and it's being preached and it's being preached and it's being preached and it's being preached, but no one's ever preaching or explaining to people the good news of God's kingdom. And so because of that, the church is, we, we don't realize what we have. We don't realize how we're equipped. We don't realize, you know, our role in the world. Um, because we haven't had the gospel of the kingdom explained to us, people talk more about what God allows instead of what they are allowing. Um, again, there's just a, a, a huge gaping hole that um, is, is missing in people's understanding that, that needs to be there. So, Jesus didn't, did Jesus talk about salvation? Did he, did he, yes, absolutely. But that was not his primary subject matter. Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom and he preached salvation as a means to enter into the kingdom that he spent most of his earthly ministry teaching us about. I know we've looked at these verses already, but let me just real quick, Matthew 4, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Matthew 9 and 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, 
and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Matthew 24 and 14, Jesus says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. You see, one, I, think, I think a lot of people in the body of Christ are catching on to when Jesus told us about the end time signs, um, you know, how will we know when the end is coming? Wars, rumors of wars, pandemics, um, natural disasters, all of these things. Jesus said the beginning of birth pains. But the whole reason he explained all of that was so that we would not be deceived into thinking that those things meant the end of the world. Because he said the end will not come until the gospel of the kingdom is preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So a lot of people are figuring out, matter of fact, we have you know, some amazingly uh, gifted people who um, have these organized efforts now to make sure that all these unreached people groups are hearing the gospel, okay? But this is, I think, a mistake, and, and God doesn't, how many of you know God says what he means and means what he says? He did not say until the gospel of salvation is preached in all the world. As important as the gospel of salvation being preached is, Jesus didn't say that just the gospel of salvation. He said the good news of the kingdom will be preached. One of my heroes in the faith, Jerry O'Dell, who's, he and his wife have preached to millions of people and won tens of thousands of them to the Lord over the course of their ministry. Um, one of the key things that he does in every open-air meeting that he has, he declares that, this, that the kingdom of God has come to this place. Or certainly he's bringing people into um, the kingdom through salvation. That's extremely important. If you think I'm saying that's not important, you're wrong. It's extremely important. But if we only preach the gospel of salvation without the gospel of the kingdom, then we're leaving people in a position where they don't understand what this is really all about. Let me, let me say it uh, this way, okay? The gospel of salvation focuses more on getting people into heaven, right? In other words, receive Jesus, receive forgiveness for your sins, get saved so that you can go to heaven when you die. That's, that's the way the gospel is presented to so many people. And certainly all that's the truth, okay? But when we're only preached the gospel of salvation, because that focuses more on getting a person into heaven when they die, the gospel of the kingdom is completely different from that. The gospel of the kingdom focuses more on getting heaven into you. You see the difference there? getting heaven into you and then the kingdom coming and the will of God being done on earth as it is in heaven all around you. But when we're only preached the gospel of salvation, we think that the whole Christian life is just about making it into heaven one day when we die. When Jesus bled to death naked on a cross so that we could be born into the kingdom, the kingdom could then be placed in us, right? So it's not just about getting you into heaven when you die. It's about getting heaven into you. Whew. Man, I want to tell every person in the world that will hear me on this. This is, this is again, I'm not, I'm, not, uh, I'm not trying to be hard or harsh. 
but this is this is a gaping hole um, uh, in, in so many people's understanding of what the Christian life is, is all about and what they received um, when they were uh, received uh, Jesus and were born again. Amen. Let's um. Let's. Let's kind of put a bow on this if we can. Let's go to Isaiah 44 and 7. Isaiah 44 and 7. Praise God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So, just to remind you, we've, we've looked at Isaiah 51 and 16, where God says that he's going to put his words in our mouth. He's going to cover us with the shadow of his hand so that he can plant the heavens, lay the foundations of the earth, say in Zion, you are my people. You, you see, and I, I skipped over that part in my notes just because we've spent a good bit of time with that verse already. The Holy Spirit's bringing it back to my heart and mind at this point. Do you see how that connects with Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This, this, is, this is God putting his words in your mouth, covering you with the shadow of his hands so that he can plant the heavens, lay the foundation of the earth, say in design, thou art my people. And he's, he's wanting to do this to plant a crop, um, lay some foundations, and bring some people in. You, you see. All right. So now we come to the New, New Testament. I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind will be bound already bound. Whatever you lose will be loose because it's already loose uh, on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven because I'm going to build my church. That's what he said. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So you read that and you see, you know, Jesus said, I will build my church. Okay? And so, you know, that doesn't mean for us to sit back with our arms crossed and watch him do it. Okay? Remember, we are the body of Christ. But when we go back to Isaiah 51 and this, and this uh, cooperative uh, co-laboring uh, picture that God paints for us here um, which we don't see in its fullness until the New Testament where he says this, this is what I'm going to do I'm going to put my words in your mouth and I'm going to cover you with the shadow of my hand and then I'm going to plant well when you say he, obviously he's doing the work God gives the increase but it's going to be your mouth that speaks it's, it, there's, there's some initiative there's some effort there's some work co-labor whatever deliberate, intentional effort on our part that's involved here in, in order for these things uh, to come to pass, in order for this work to be done. Okay. So if he puts his words in your mouth and you never speak them, if he, puts, if he covers you with the shadow of his hand but you never use that protection and authority and anointing to do anything with it, you see what I'm saying? Um, so in the same way that he says, so that I can plant the heavens, I can uh, lay the foundation, if I can say design there are my people, we see Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates will not prevail against it. He's not leaving you out of that. You and I are, are, are a part of that with him, um, him in us working through us. All right, now, Isaiah 44 and 7. God speaking. And who can proclaim as I do? Well, later we're going to find out that we can proclaim as he does because he's going to put his words in our mouth. That's how we can proclaim as he does. Proclaim means, you know, when you proclaim something, you decree it, you declare it, okay? Who can proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it. 
and set it in order for me since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show these to them. Okay? So, the King James Version says, um, who can call as I do? And that, that word call there uh, is translated proclaim in, um, uh, in the New King James Version. Um, and of course, again, tying back into these words. So let's, we've got, I don't know if I've got time to do this or not. Let, let's just do this and we'll jump in here next week. So he's talking about calling He's talking about declaring, and he's talking about setting things in order. Call, declare, and set it in order. Call, declare, and set it in order. Call, declare, set it in order. Okay? In Romans, we see that when God calls, he calls things that be not as though they were. In Job, we see where God says, declare a thing and I will establish it for you. In Genesis 1, we see where God commissioned them to fill the earth and subdue it. Subdue means to set in order. If something gets out of order, God authorized them to bring it back into order. All right. So notice, you, you see again, just in, in these three, call, declare, set in order, call, declare, set in order, call, declare, set in order, there are some things that need to be set in order so that God can bring them to pass and establish them. There, there, there are some things that, that, that need to be called. Amen. Um, and and it's, it's the initiative. It's the keys of the kingdom. It's, these are the, the access, the authority, the responsibility that we uh, talked about in the beginning of the class that are being tied back in here um, for you and for me. Praise God. All right. Let me, um, let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this time together. Lord, thank you for the things that you're showing us, that you're helping us connect with and understand on a deeper level. Father, that we would be well-trained students, disciples, mephites uh, and mephitrias, Father, um, put forth an intense effort to learn by experience. Lord, the, um, the kingdom and the principles and the truths and the wisdom of your kingdom. Father, that we would be like that owner of the general store, that householder, Father, that whatever anybody needs, whenever they need it, Father, we, we can access it uh, because your kingdom, Lord, has what we need, the help, the grace, the answers, the breakthroughs, the miracles, the power, the wisdom, Lord, the deliverance, the healing, the supernatural increase of all of these things are in your kingdom, and your kingdom's in us. Father, we do not want to wait until we stand before you one day to, to realize what we've had all this time while we're here on the earth. And so we humble ourselves before you, sir. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we might know the things that you've freely given to us. Lord, open our eyes to these things more clearly. Lord, you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek. We thank you for the men and women. Lord, who have been so faithful and so diligent, Lord, to these classes this year, both in person and online. I thank you, Father, that you have many ways to reward us. And I, I would, uh, I would um, Lord, never try to step in and tell you how to, how to do what you do. But, 
Lord, I know that one of the most precious things that you reward us with is wisdom. You unlock our understanding, Lord, to see and to, and to understand, um, have revelation, Lord, of, of your truth and your ways in our hearts and in our minds. And so, Father, I ask tonight that, that you reward my brothers and sisters, Lord, with insight, Lord, that can only come from your word and from your Holy Spirit, your Holy Word and your Holy Spirit, Lord, alive and active in our lives. Father, that the scales would be removed, the veil would be pulled back, and that our eyes would be opened, Lord, to clearly see, to clearly see. And Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let me just take a minute to wish everyone a very, very happy new year. Um, some of the things that the Lord's just been dealing with me about in the, in the new year is that so much of our potential is released in our daily routine. And um, I'm not talking about necessarily a resolution, but, you know, there's applications for your phone, digital applications, calendars, checklists, to-do lists, things of that nature. But let me just encourage you to get before the Lord and ask Him what He would have you do on a daily basis in the year ahead. Um, Maybe it's a chapter in the Word. Maybe you know, there's a different reading plans. Um, I, I, one the Lord led me to is a is a New Testament um, in uh, in 60 days. So that means you read the entire New Testament um, six times with with that particular plan. And that was one of the things that I added last year to my uh, daily routine, study time, and, and things of this nature. And so. Um, let me just encourage you that we need to step it up. Amen. We need to step it up. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, we went from first grade to second grade, the next thing you know, we're in middle school, the next thing you know, we're in high school, the next thing you know. In other words, if, unless we're continually being challenged, unless we are allowing the Lord to place the demand on our potential that, that, that he's placed within us, then if we're not careful, we'll become stagnant, um, we may still grow, but very slowly, or maybe not at all. Um, but I believe that 2022 can be a year of just unprecedented uh, spiritual growth for us as individuals, as our families, and ultimately our families of faith. So just know that I love you. I'm, I'm so thankful for the opportunity. to. It's, a, it's an honor to be able to speak into your life. And, and I know that I, um, I speak to men and women who... Uh, are very deep in the Word, very deep in the things of God that um, know as much or more uh, than, than I do, uh, you know, about these things. And, and, and I know we've got some folks that are just hungry and learning and new at all this and, and just so energized uh, and then everybody in between. And so um, I love you. Uh, I'm honored to serve you. And um, I'm looking forward to uh, closing out this year strong here in the next couple of days and then um, which is a running head start into 2022. Praise God. And just know that you're loved and happy to be